from your friends at Relay FM, brought to you this week by Martian Craft. Liftoff is a fortnightly show where you don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand the latest news about space and related subjects. My name is Jason Snell, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hello. Hello, Jason. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Good. We're back. I've returned. I was on vacation last week, so um, not in space, though. No, not- no, uh, no flying space hotels? No, although we did, uh, we drove down uh, the coast to L.A. and we went through Santa Barbara and I was uh, noting the south-facing coastline there, which is one of the rare places in uh, on the west coast of North America with a south-facing coastline. And I was uh, reminded of our discussion about uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base because mm-hmm. we went past the turnoff to that and why, why they do... Uh, launches from there because they can they can shoot due south into polar or- orbits so yep. yeah there was a little space there you go a little space happening there and i also saw all the signs for the endeavor at the la science center but i didn't go i just saw the signs what so, shuttles have you, you know. seen i've only seen um you know atlantis at the launch yeah and that's it okay so you haven't been to one that's like i, I haven't been to a decommissioned shuttle in yeah, an exhibit thing haven't haven't done it yet i mean given that my in-laws are in la it's it's funny they live far enough outside of uh downtown la that that it always seems so uh uh kind of intimidating like we're gonna go all the way back into la Mm -hmm. but one of these days we just we just need to do it because it's right there and i would like to see the endeavor i'd really like to see it before they mount it on the on the external tank because oh i forgot they're doing that yeah they're gonna do that at some point i think they have to raise money for it and stuff i don't think it's happening imminently but they are they they have the external tank now so they are gonna do that and i kind of like to see it when it's down instead of up yeah the uh, the atlantis one in florida is really cool because it's um two levels and so on the on the second like when you walk in you're upstairs and you're basically eye level like with the cockpit almost, and it's tilted on its side, so you can see mm. into the cargo bay. And then you go sort of a, almost all the way around it, and then down stairs, and then you're underneath this. You see all the thermal protection tiles and the landing gear and everything. It's really it's neat to really get a sense of it in 3D space. But um, that's the only one I've seen. I would like to uh, I'd like to see more of them, especially. If I like how they're doing them. In different, you know, showing them in different ways. I think it would be right. fun to see it upright. But I, I. I I would not. I wouldn't want that to be the only one I see. I guess is what right. I'm saying. Collect them all. Is, That's right. Is what we're what we're saying. Yes. It's like one uh, of these days uh, we'll you will go to some space event somewhere and do a special episode there. We should. That'll that'll happen. We keep talking about it. Maybe it'll happen. So we got some pre-flight checklist stuff today, and I wanted to start with SpaceX. So they, as as we all know, have recovered several rockets, some at sea some at land and they are moving into the testing phase of these of these rockets and just the other day they fired a returned falcon 9 they did a full length uh burn so it's like two and a half minutes almost and you can you can watch it on youtube and it's just a rocket bolted down to the ground firing for two minutes like it's it's yeah. what Whee! you expect it to be um and and this is all done in the article they talk about this is all done in mcgregor texas where spacex test center is so like you know like almost all these other companies not everything is done just right at the cape there's actually not a you know you got to go out to someplace bigger got to go to texas lots of room in texas mm-hmm. and yeah, they don't care out there if you just fire rockets off people do that all the time just yeah you know i'm blasting something out here in texas I'm like yeah okay whatever it's mm-hmm. cool 
And the this particular Falcon Nine is not going to be flown again, but they're using it in this in this ground testing protocol to see, you know, how does this thing react after being burned a second time? Are there any unknown issues that you know the computer modeling doesn't doesn't come up with? So kind of fun to see them moving forward with that. I mean, in reusability, of course, you want to make sure that thing is going to be reliable, and a lot of that is just a lot of testing. And so yeah, this is it, them refiring we it. Ta- we talked about this, uh, I think, last time about the, this idea of like, how do you do you give a discount for the being the first one to fly on a reused uh, on a reused booster? But one of the things you do is, yeah, you fire the reused booster and mm-hmm. see if there's anything you didn't expect, uh, which is really smart. And then and then you know, like, because they don't they don't know for sure. Like, this is a good uh, learning experience. That SpaceX has been pretty good about talking about things in experimental contexts. And that they're they're trying stuff that's new, and so they're they they still have stuff to learn. Yep. So up up next, uh, we want to talk about Juno. Uh, as of July thirty first, just a couple of days ago, uh, it reached the furthest point uh, on its orbit of Jupiter. So remember, we spoke about it's making these two really wide orbits before being inserted into its very close polar orbit that will actually allow it to, to circumvent Jupiter. Uh, north to south and uh, so that it's right this is this is the these are the insertion orbits right. or capture orbits instead of their uh the science orbits right. that come later they got two of these before right so they're at their their furthest point from that there's a little graphic on uh the page in the show notes showing it where it is they're 53 and a half day capture orbits and then the science orbits are a much shorter uh, 14 days so yeah. uh, we're getting closer and closer to having science gets uh, started up and that that's going to be great because we're because every episode of liftoff we're going to be talking able to talk about something new from the latest orbit because yep. they've t- kindly timed the juno orbits to liftoff's frequency mm-hmm. so thanks nasa for that yeah but yeah this is called apajove by the way there you it's go just a fun word which is the furthest away in an orbit of jupiter um and th- and they'll do one more and then we'll go into the science orbits orbits so yeah it's cool it is cool. Good Juno. Juno's doing its job, and 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 sent back some uh, some of its first pictures, which are not particularly interesting, um, except that it's working. So right. that's the most important thing right now. Yep. Um, lastly, I wanted to point to a article about United Launch Alliance. We don't talk um, a lot about on the show uh, for a couple of different reasons. One, like the military side of things, just isn't all that interesting to me. Um, this particular Atlas V launch was for the National Reconnaissance Office, so top-secret spy satellite, question mark, uh, classified mm-hmm. um, operation, classified spacecraft. But I really wanted to point out, just to, just to say that, you know, we haven't talked about the Atlas V vehicle very much on the show, but it is an absolute, like, workhorse. And yeah. you see all these military launches, a lot of private launches, all being done with this Atlas V rocket that's managed by the United Launch Alliance. Yeah, and they've got the uh, they've got the extended payload fairing thing, which is like a big bulgy thing on the top, so you can launch large uh, items that fit in there. They've also used the Atlas to launch um, uh, NASA probes of uh, various kinds. I mean, that's they that's that's how lots of stuff is shot into space from the u.s at this point is (laughs) using that using that rocket it's not uh it's not as exciting in a lot of ways because it's not new but it just is doing the job yeah and it's not rated for crude vehicles so this is all cargo but and we're going to get into uh the journey to mars stuff after the ad break but 
in the early phases of talking about the journey to Mars and talking about like the previous constellation project uh, on the table was, you know, could NASA buy uh, an Atlas V or buy the designs or, you know, have the right to build them, but rated for crew safety. And that involves a lot of, um, redundant systems. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a more complex rocket when it's built for, for a crewed vehicle, but it really goes like to show how stable this platform is that, you know, and talking about building their own rocket, the SLS, or or do we just go buy one? The LS5 was on the top of that list. And um, there's not a lot of competition, but uh, I just think that it's like, even though we, we don't talk about it, it doesn't make the news very much, it is really like a, a solid workhorse vehicle for, for ULA. All right, so Journey to Mars. But first, we want to talk about our, our sponsor this week, which is Martian Craft, which is kind of the perfect name. Yeah. it's a, Martian Craft is a, a great agency, a great company. They're behind some of the most prominent software on the App Store. But what you may not know is they offer a wide variety of training as well. Martian Craft has classes to accommodate everyone from entry-level to senior iOS developers who are seeking to amplify their skills or improve collaborative problem-solving. Fortune 500 companies rely on Martian Craft to make their teams and their software better. Go find out for yourself why they're the right choice for your company. Go to martiancraft.com training to learn more. Thank you to Martian Craft for sponsoring Liftoff and all of Relay FM. So, Journey to Mars. Yeah, yeah. let's go. Okay. Ready? I'm ready. You Ooh. first. Okay. Uh, so, uh, a bunch of links will be in the show notes. Um, the plan itself is a 36-page PDF um, that, if you have the time, is a pretty interesting read. It's a lot of infographics and imagery, so it's not like a 36-page, you know, 10-point font on white a white paper. page type thing. Uh, it's completely readable. It's designed as marketing copy. But the overview of this of this plan, so Journey to Mars is a big umbrella plan to get astronauts to the red planet. And the overview statement is, is that NASA is developing the capabilities needed to send humans to an asteroid by 2025 and Mars in the 2030s. Goals outlined in the bipartisan NASA Authorization Act of 2010 and the U.S. National Space Policy also issued in 2010. So we're six years into this, and you know the PDF is from this original announcement. Some, some some things have changed, but the basic gist is the same: that we want to go to Mars. To do that, first we're going to go try to capture an asteroid and put it in orbit around the moon. And it's this, like I said, it's this umbrella plan to make this happen. And there's really um, three phases, if you will. So the first phase is what they call Earth Reliant. It's focused research both on the ground and aboard the International Space Station on human health and performance. Uh, the year in space mission uh, that, that just wrapped up on the International Space Station, we, we've spoken a lot about, is part of this phase one of what happens if you put an astronaut in space for a year. You're talking about Mars, you're talking about three years easily. And we need to understand what these long-duration flights do not only to our bodies but to our mental health to our emotional health and all these all these different things on the flip side of that there's also past present and near future robotic missions and nasa's idea here is to focus on simple sustainable hardware that can serve many purposes so the, the example that came to mind for me was curiosity and the mars 2020 rover which we spoke about a couple weeks ago yeah they share the same basic chassis and design right it is a they've built a platform of hardware that they can now basically swap out components and Mars 2020 will do different things than Curiosity. Phase two is uh, a, a proving ground. So they're, they're, the idea here is um, 
let's test some stuff out closer to home. Let's let's um, use the equipment and some of the tasks that we're going to perform. But, you know, you do it closer to Earth before you send people to Mars. So uh, the, the phrase that keeps coming up is cislunar space, which is basically the space between here and the moon. It's a higher than low, low Earth orbit, which we've been in for quite a while now in the International Space Station. Uh, so Space Launch System and Orion uh, tests are a part of this. Can we get four crew members in a capsule into a deeper uh, part of space than we've been sending people with the space shuttle and the uh, and the and the International Space Station, and uh, that's the uh, goal of Block One of the of the space uh, launch system is to get the Orion capsule into cislunar space out of low Earth orbit. Um, and then phase two is what you mentioned earlier, which is this wacky thing that they are still talking about. I guess this is still part of the plan, which is the um, asteroid redirect mission. And the idea is to launch a probe to a, a near-Earth asteroid um, and push it into a stable orbit around the moon and then send astro- astronauts to that asteroid. So it's not like Armageddon. Where we're going to send astronauts to an asteroid somewhere and have them dig or anything like that. The idea is to take a relatively small rock and push it into an, a, a lunar orbit. And then when it's hanging out there in lunar orbit, we can send astronauts there to uh so instead of landing on the moon they'll just and having to deal with the gravity of the moon they'll just go to this little asteroid that is orbiting around the moon and uh, they can do sample returns you know they can drill into it and bring the samples back and that is uh just it's like um it's like training essentially for mars their feeling here nasa's feeling seems to be we need to take an interim step before we go to mars where we try out a whole bunch of uh, capabilities that we'll need and uh and this is the way that they're doing it now some of the criticism of this idea is i've heard from people is that that uh, going back to the moon would be another way to do this in order to have landing hardware and figure out what to do on although it's not you know it doesn't have the gravity of mars or anything like that it's a a large body to land on but um the the NASA plan is this ad- asteroid redirect mission instead, um, and they're uh, they're uh, still working on it. You know, this is this is how if you've got a longer duration mission into deep space. How do you um, recycle and reduce the consumables that the astro that the astronauts are using, and you need that for the long journey to Mars. So um, it's a it's a this is we're, we're the further out you get, right, the fuzzier it all seems to be. But this is this is what the plan is. Anything you want to add here on this on this phase? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to mention that NASA is going to continue to rely on U.S. industry as well. And, you know, it's easy to think now you have commercial crew, so you have somebody like SpaceX or Boeing that will be flying astronauts to the International Space Station. It's easy to think that's a new thing. But really, as far back um, as Apollo and even Mercury and Gemini to an extent, you had third-party hardware, if you will, right? You had a, a company or a industry building your components, and NASA was in charge of the program. And that will be the case here as well. You know, commercial crew is going to allow NASA to sort of look past the International Space Station as they get closer to this 2020, you know, mid-2020s date of the asteroid redirect mission. And so you're going to see industry play a part in this. So it's not just NASA all the time. Right. Um, but this does lead towards what's called phase three of, of the plan of Earth independent missions. So you're talking about enabling human missions in the Mars vicinity, including to its two moons, eventually crewed missions to Mars itself, 
and then harvesting Martian resources for things like fuel and oxygen and water uh, for more, you know, long-term missions on the Red Planet. Right. So I think I think these early crewed missions to Mars or even to its moons are going to be kind of like how the, the early Apollo missions were, where you sort of you open the door and you go outside and you plant a flag and take a picture, and then you come back. And you know, later, the later Apollo missions, they're driving around on the moon, they're playing golf, they're out, you know, uh, for extended periods of time on the surface. They're spending the night on the surface and more than one day on the surface. I think that's how this this will ramp up in the Earth-independent phase. But like you said, the further you get into this, the fuzzier it gets. <laughs> um, yeah. And to an extent, I understand why. You know, again, let's let's compare it to sort of the la- you know the Mercury, Gemini, Apollo era, where we say we're going to put a man on the moon and. It seems, in hindsight, there was a very clear way to do that. We're going to start with Mercury. We're going to put one guy into uh, suborbital flight, and then we're going to go to low Earth orbit. Then we're going to put two guys around the planet, and then we're going to fly two Gemini at the same time and have them meet. And then even just with an Apollo testing— what? Three guys. Yeah, three people, <laughs> and they are going to you know fly the different modules and you know uh, be able to, to basically do dry runs of all the— all right, the, all the steps, and in fact, sent uh, what was it, Apollo Nine that yeah. went around the uh, around moon? the moon but didn't land. No, sorry, Jim Lovell, you're never going to go down there. You really get to see it really close. Yeah, and and a lot of about the Mars stuff is is similar. I mean, Mars going to Mars is so expensive that it, there, there's this question of like, are you really going to send people there and then not have them land? But what you have to do is you have to land. You probably have to land the the um the the concept that I think uh, a guy named Bob Zubrin. Uh, popularized this idea that you land stuff in advance and have it you basically uh, do some chemical stuff to to build up the return fuel uh, and so it's already um, in situ on the surface of Mars so that when people land they already have their return ride waiting for them um, because otherwise the expense of landing a craft that has all of its return fuel is enormous so you do it this kind of other way um, but uh, that that requires you to land that craft and have it do those things and you've got to build something that does that and get it in place uh way before you even send the people so there's a whole lot that goes into that i've also heard some speculation i mean you mentioned the moons i've heard some speculation that the best way for humans to explore mars and i think i might have mentioned this in a previous episode it's a great idea is to build a base on one of the moons of mars and then when then you can do remote remote controlled operations of the land Landers, something you can't do now. We remote control the landers, but it's in this really um, limited way where we will program in the, the Mars rover drivers will program in what they want the rover to do, and then it does it, and that's for the day. And uh, they have to do that because of the the communication lag between Earth and Mars. But if you were in orbit around Mars in a spacecraft or on a little you know base on one of Mars's moons, you could. You know, you wouldn't be a human with your feet on on Mars, but you would be able to drive a sophisticated uh, Mars rover live, which would be a much more effective way of exploring the surface of Mars uh, than it is from Earth. Uh, so there's lots of different options when you get to Mars uh, that that are not just what we think of as what what Apollo did, which is they brought their stuff with them, they landed, they walked around for a little bit, they got back in the thing, and then they came home. There are a bunch of different 
uh, things, but that adds a lot of complexity. And uh, I think it goes to, we're going to talk about the criticism of this plan in a second. I think it goes to some of that criticism, which is, what do you want to do? Like you said, it's hazy. And I think that's one of the problems with NASA's plan to go to Mars is uh, they don't have one. They have, uh, they have like, we're going to go in this direction. And again, maybe that's the right way to do it, but we're going to go in this direction. But like, what is the end game? When are you planning this? And what are you going to do? And they're like, eh, you know, it, it, for me, I feel like even if it was in some ways more, you know, open to question about the, the specifics, you could you could debate the specifics. It would help if there were specifics. If they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to land this. We're going to do, you know, you just, even if it was literally like, we're going to make this up. 2034, mission A, we're going to land, uh, you know, it's going to be the, the return of the astronauts and it's going to land. And then, and then two years later, we're going to land, uh, you know, mission B, which is going to have the people in it and they're going to return with with mission a or or mission b is going to go to one of the moons and then mission c will happen later than that you know two years later than that three years later than that and 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 this is going to happen but instead they're like yeah there's lots of stuff we could do and it's just kind of left there and it makes it hard uh even even though there are good reasons for that it makes it hard for you to imagine it happening i think because nobody everybody might be rowing in the same direction but there's no end in sight and that's a problem I think. Yeah, so I would point people to episode 18 of Liftoff where we talk about the SLS itself and a lot of the criticisms and critiques of this plan are sort of wrapped up in the conversation about the SLS itself. But even just this week, the Government Accountability Office, uh, which is basically a department of the federal government that makes sure the other departments are doing what they're supposed to, <laughs> kind of the uh, the hallway monitor for the federal government, uh, released uh, a set of reports, and all the links will be in the show notes, that cast uh, doubt around the Orion capsule itself. Obviously, a huge part of not only Phase 3, not only actually going to Mars, but all this lunar stuff is all happening with the Orion capsule. Um, that the thing is problematic from a budget perspective, problematic from a schedule perspective, and that basically the, the dates... Um, like the launch date of April 2023 is kind of lacking support. Like the, the date may be yeah. a little bit penciled in. And I, mean, I understand that that's this office's job to do this, but it, it does seem like there are, are concerns that the program is, is more expensive and slower than, you know, was anticipated. Not that that's new for NASA or really, you know, <laughs> any big government project, but, it is not all smooth sailing at this point. There are um, concerns, even if you go in and read the reports, um, there's even concern about like, some of the ground control stuff. The They're rebuilding a launch pad for the SLS. That's behind schedule and over budget. Lots of uh, lots of possible problems to even get this sort of like cislunar phase up and running. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's, there's a line um, in... A story that I'm looking at here that's linked to from from uh, a different Verge story, Lauren Grush doing a bunch of great stories about this, that is basically, we do not have a planned strategy or architecture with sufficient detail, which goes back to what I was saying. But I mean, this is the question about even the, even the short milestones, the things like, um, we will put people in that capsule and launch it <laughs> by this date. It's like, people look at it and go, oh, really? Are you going to really do that? And And 
it's you know there's the politics of the funding of it um there but you know this is not one of those things where nasa seems to be like doing it because it's obligatory but they don't really care about it nasa is working on this this is a, a key part of what nasa is working on but uh, there's still a lot of skepticism about the the timing of this and and it's still so far out and are they really going to be able to make their even their self-imposed deadlines and this is all like this is all f- fine and good even though it's maybe not fine and good but the the other part of this is that spacex has its sights on mars as well yeah so this is i think one of the interesting things about this when we were talking about we've been talking for a while um just not just this podcast but you know humans about nasa having a mars mission it goes back to george w bush actually i think had the first um mars roadmap so it's been a while now where uh, the u.s government has been talking about this and uh and yet all of a sudden you look up and there's Elon Musk and and you know SpaceX's primary goal is to have uh, a business of launching stuff into orbit where people pay them to launch stuff but in the background uh Elon Musk is saying I'm going to have a heavy lift vehicle and I'm building a capsule that's rated for people and I could use that to go to Mars and he made an announcement a while ago that you know they were working on a plan to send Uh, multiple missions to Mars, sort of like every launch window for the next decade that SpaceX would try to send something to Mars. And um, it starts to get really interesting because on one level, you know, Musk talks a lot and his projects tend to slip. Yeah. That he doesn't get them. He he talks a good game about, oh, well, you know, we're going to do this in this time frame. And then it turns out reality intervenes. And that's not, you know, he's somebody who... He gets very enthusiastic, and that's great, but uh, but things often don't conform to what his dreams are. Um, that said, he does have a company that makes rockets and is doing interesting things, and he wants very badly for SpaceX to push itself a little bit further using the technology it's got. So um, the vague outlines are out there, but it sounds like he's speaking um, in on September 27th at an aeronautics conference in Mexico. Um He's he's got a uh, a session called Colonizing Mars, a deep technical presentation on the space transport architecture needed to colonize Mars. And we think that this will probably be the revealing Elon Musk's plan for Mars with SpaceX. Um, NASA is lending technical support to this plan contingent on progress from spacex basically if spacex looks like they're way behind and it's not going to happen they they uh they won't help but they've funded it uh in exchange for basically data sharing because nasa uh, this is an interesting case where nasa is providing some expertise in exchange for uh, access to spacex's private spaceship data uh so that they can learn about about uh you know more about space travel stuff from spacex it's sort of reversing the flow a little bit but um you know what musk says he wants to do is use a the heavy lift rocket which some people are calling falcon x uh and uh and the red dragon capsule which is based on the dragon capsule and he and what musk wants to do is land one of those on mars which is a big deal because those are heavy vehicles they're much heavier than the mars probes that we've sent there and so it would need to um 
it would need to do a controlled descent and and land on the surface very much like the spacex descents that we've seen landing on uh on so, the solid ground ones where they have to, to fire retro rockets and 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 land and do a do a solid landing of a very heavy spacecraft uh we haven't done that before uh, and but that's what musk wants to do is he wants to land these heavy capsules on mars and so um you know they're working on it it's uh, it, it's really interesting because this is this is a guy even though even with his kind of bluster and 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 uh, tendency to overpromise, um, you look at what SpaceX is doing, and even if you build in you know a delay of five or six years uh, or nine years, even it's hard not to look at this and think that if they have the money and their business keeps thriving and they keep working on this at the pace they're going, they could totally beat NASA to Mars just because NASA is moving so slow and it's unclear what NASA, NASA's endgame is. You can see an opportunity where SpaceX beats them. And I have a feeling that that may be the situation that we end up in, that SpaceX may not be the first one to get a crewed vehicle there or not. I don't know, but I think if I had to bet, my guess is that Elon Musk will have what I would call substantial hardware um, on the surface of Mars before... NASA does as part of as part of this program. And clearly, NASA has robotics going on and more planned. But as far as something well down the road to having a a, a crew there, um, I think even with like the Elon Musk factor that he doesn't understand how calendars work, yeah. um, I think he may beat him, which would be really like really well, interesting. I do have a th- so I have a theory. This is my conspiracy theory, which I'm going to share now. It's going to be very exciting. Get ready. Um, my theory is because people—it's very easy to look at this and be like, "Really, you know, SpaceX? Uh, you're going to take? You know, this is not your business. How do you make a profit on sending people to Mars? We mentioned this a few weeks ago. How do you make a profit on that? They're a profit-making business. I think if I if I'm reading Musk right, and if I read the situation right, I think it's an interesting bet to say if you're Elon Musk and SpaceX gets Mars capability before nasa if what you're really betting on is that all the money that um that the u.s government and nasa is currently spending on this other expensive program that we just described if if you can prove what you can do in sending people to mars or sending equipment to mars and and then in the future people um, maybe that's a way for them to basically get that money from nasa essentially say, look, we built your Mars program, funded. And I could see that. I could totally see that happening, at which point they make their money back. They're not just doing it for for the glory of SpaceX. They've, on spec, essentially built a Mars mission that NASA can't or can't in the next 20 years. And that would be a really interesting situation where the private industry in in space ends up... um, beating nasa at its own game because and this is tricky for nasa right this is really tricky because nasa's argument's always been look we're using commercial space for the stuff that we've already we're the we're the trailblazers so we we blaze this trail space station all of that now we've got commercial space doing that but we're gonna set our sights on all this other stuff because that's what we're really good at is the next big thing and those things are more expensive and they're more risky and so you need to have the government do that and if spacex does this i do think 
it actually calls into question the entire premise of how NASA has been operating, which is that that leave it to us. We're going to do the exploration stuff because if SpaceX can beat them, then why? I mean, then then what are they good for, at least in terms of this this area of space? It's not like SpaceX isn't sending the the um, uncrewed robot probes out there. That's not a thing that they're doing. And NASA does great at that. But in terms of the the uh, the crewed spaceflight program. Uh, and the plan to have a a Mars mission in 20 years, uh, what happens if some private company says, yeah, we can do it in 10, <laughs> and you really can't do it in 20, it's going to be 25 or 30? Uh, I don't know. It, it, could be, it could be a very interesting set of, of, of circumstances if they can pull it off. And that's the real question is with SpaceX and with Elon Musk is he has got big ideas, um, but, you know, can he actually make it happen it'd be wild i mean it would be a situation that we have not seen before right i mean right these these you know industry you know third-party companies have always been working for nasa you know contracted to nasa to, to do things for the agency to see it the other way around would be really it'd be hard to see i think from like the mm-hmm. cheerleading perspective but it would be a, a huge difference in a, almost every corner of the space industry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm looking forward to that September 27th presentation uh, and and to get more details of what they're actually planning here. But uh, since it's a company that has been sending uh, sending stuff into orbit and landing rockets back at the you know, downrange of uh, the launch site and things like that. It's they, They've got a little more validity than uh, some kind of crank on the internet posting like, I've got, a, I've got an idea, right. right? I mean, this is a little, we got to take it a little more seriously than that because this is a person who wants to go to Mars who has a company that is firing things into space. <laughs> so it's not as big a leap. Yeah. Well, we will check back in. 30 years of follow-up yes from mars we'll be there we'll we'll do the follow-up from mars maybe promise i'm not sure we could keep no not sure we'll have a mars our mars correspondent there you go get back to us on that if you want to find the show notes this week you can do so on our website relay.fm slash liftoff slash 26 you can get in touch on the website there's an email link uh you can find us on tumblr liftoffpodcast.space uh, on Twitter, the show is at Liftoff Podcast. Jason is J Snell, and I am ISMH. Uh, we love to uh, hear from you guys. Have questions, feedback. It's all very welcome. Uh, I will uh, real quick mention that we do have a uh, special member episode of Liftoff coming up later this month uh, with a special guest in Mike Hurley. So if you're not a member, uh, you can check that out. If you're a member of any Relay show, you will hear all the other membership stuff. Um, but it, uh, I'd encourage you to go check out that if you uh, have not become a member yet. Well, Jason, I think that's it. Yeah, I think so. So thanks to everybody out there for listening. And until next time, next fortnight, bye, everybody. Adios. Adios.